Well, good morning. We serve a God that is so good, and sometimes we put him inside a box, but we shouldn't because he is greater than what we, ex what we even hoped for. Amen? Let us rise and praise him for the God that he is.
Many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that we can come together this morning for this time of worship, and we're blessed to do so. Lord, I pray this morning we can be encouraging and we can be uplifted by your message and by your, by your songs. And Lord, I pray that we can just be a blessing to one another. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. Glad that you've chosen to worship, us, worship with us today as we've come here to worship the Lord together. Please do, uh, do us a favor. Make sure you fill out your connection card this morning. For those who are watching online, we ask that you do the same so that we can keep in contact with you. Also, one thing I would like you to do, where I'm going to drop a three-minute timer. I'd like you to go around and say hello to somebody that you haven't talked to this morning or maybe somebody you haven't met. Sometimes that's a little awkward, but we want to make people feel welcome this morning. So you got your three minutes, so go for it.
everybody has trials and temptations. Everybody knows heartbreak, isolation. But we can lay our burdens down. Everybody has fears, everybody has worries. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Everybody knows sorrow, devastation. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But we can lay our burdens down. Lay our burdens down. Ephesians 5.14 says, For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, Get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you.
forward to that day. In Psalm 111, verse 1, we have these words to praise him with, and I can imagine us praising him with these words as we are all together with him in that eternal life. Hallelujah! I will praise the Lord with all my heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Sing. 
to begin a new series through the, through the book, part of the book of 1 Thessalonians and into the book of 2 Thessalonians. The title of the message is called Faith, or the series is called Faith in Uncertain Times. And I think we all agree, we probably can agree, I should say, that we live in uncertain times. Um, don't know why we'd say that, but it just kind of seems that way. But I suspect every generation has that same feeling. You know, every presidential election is the most important that's ever taken place. Every this is the most important. That the, if this doesn't change, it's going to get so difficult. So we live in uncertain times. And as we go through this whole series, the, the big idea of the series is in a world that's filled with death, war, and evil, how can we face what feels like an unknowable future? As Christians, how do we deal with that? What do you do with the anxiety that you may be feeling about the days ahead? This six-week series is based on, like I said, books of First and Second Thessalonians, and the point of it is, is to provide comfort and reassurance for those of us who are living in these uncertain times. These letters discuss the, the uh, future of Christ's second coming and what believers should do while waiting his return. And when we understand that, that will help us to be able to deal with the uncertain times that we face. Paul encourages Christians to be prepared, to cling to the truth of what they've been taught, and to live responsibly in light of the future. 
Sometimes we can spend so much time being anxious that we, that we miss what everything's all about. Our problems get to become larger and larger than re the reality of life and what we're called to do. One of the things that drives fear in people is the unknown or maybe not having the correct information on a given subject matter. The church at Thessalonica, they dealt with this subject, the subject that we're going to deal with today. It caused a great deal of anxiety and a great deal of grief within the body of believers, not only in the church of Thessalonica, but also to Christians around the world. Now, there was a 2022 study done by Chapman University, and the title of the study is called the Chapman University Survey of American Fears. And they've been doing this for nine years, and they had polled 1,035 adults randomly throughout the country. They gave them a list of 95 fears, and they asked them to rank them from it doesn't bother me, clear up to I'm almost, you know, that I'm very afraid of it. And so what they did is they took all the answers that, were, that said that I'm afraid to very afraid, and they took those and then they ranked them. And so that's what they did. What do you, I'll get a little interactive today. What do you think is the number one thing that people was afraid of according to this nine-year-long study, excuse me, this study has been going on for nine years. What do you think was the number one fear of people? Dying? Public speaking? Old age. Old age. <laughs> If I ever get there, I'll tell you. Um, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Well, this is going to crack you up, and this has been number one in this Chapman University study. It's been number one or two since about 2015. And I don't understand why, because this could never happen. Corrupt government officials. Sixty-two point one percent. The second one was people I love becoming seriously ill at 60.2%. The third one, and you can see some of these are media-driven. By the way, the subject matters that they gave them were environmental, political, and uh, COVID-19 type stuff to everything in between. So number three was Russia using nuclear weapons. Number four is people I love dying at 58%. Number five was the U.S. becoming involved in another world war. <laughs> Number six, pollution of drinking water. Number seven, not having enough money for the future. Number eight, economic and financial collapse. Number nine, pollution of oceans, rivers, and lakes. Number 10, biological warfare. Now, the number one one just cracked me up. I'm just like, because that list used to be, I'm scared, you know, scared of spiders and scared of snakes, public speaking, death, heights. Those things aren't anywhere near that anymore. Well, today we're going to look at a message today and a little bit next week called The Return, and we're going to be looking at the number four ranked fear on that study, and that is people I love dying. Now, there's a lot of what I call fantasy-based information concerning the second coming, and what we're going to do over the next couple weeks, we're going to look at Thessalonians and a couple other passages, we're going to, we're going to look at Scripture, we're going to look at the Word, to see if we can gain knowledge and insight concerning the return of Jesus. Uh, we're, we're not going to be following a Left Behind series book, which if you want to read those, those are fine, but they're not scripture. And a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about what's going to happen when the Lord returns and how it's going to happen. So as we look at the text today, it's going to speak right to us, and it's going to give us some progression. And so we can follow that. And then anytime somebody brings you something 
you can look at it in light of Scripture instead of, oh, this is a popular book. So anyway, we're going to begin right now with 1 Thessalonians 4.13. It says this. This is Paul writing. Now we do not, and the we is Paul, Timothy, Silas. Now we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Now in a little bit of play of words we got here, the first thing we're going to see is a grave concern. A grave concern. Death is a time that we don't want to face. We don't like to face it. We don't like to deal with it. Many of us here, if not everyone, has lost someone we loved at some point. It may be a parent, a grandparent, some, unfortunately for some people, a child. When death comes, our hopes and our dreams for the future seem to be crushed. Some have lost loved ones at an early age. Some after many years together. Neither one's easy. Losing a loved one is a life-altering event in the lives of those of us who remain. There never seems to be enough time. You know, people have lost children in infancy. Obviously, there's not much time. People have lost loved ones that are in their 90s or even 100 years old, and that doesn't even seem like enough time. One day, though, unless the Lord returns first, every one of us in here will face our own death and or the death of loved ones. Matter of fact, Rob and I have this conversation sometimes. She says, well, I got to die first. And I'm like, oh, great, thanks, leaving me all by myself. But then I guess if I die first, I'll be leaving her by herself. And I'm not sure. I don't want her spending the insurance money on some other guy coming to call on her. Because <laughs> they will. She's pretty. Uh, I'd, I'd stay single probably. But anyway, um, so this is something we all face and are facing. My mother passed away a few months ago. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to face it. I didn't want to think about it. But the reality is it happened. But the question gets to be, and this is where the fear comes in, what happens when I die? Is it just game over? Am I taking the permanent dirt nap? Or is there something more? See, when we're immersed into Christ, one of the promises we have from God is eternal life. Now, what is eternal life? Eternal life is not lying in, a dirt, in the dirt for all eternity. There's more to it. As Christians, we have hope. If we believe what Jesus says concerning our eternal life and our eternal destiny in him, we have hope for the future. The last breath you take on this earth is not it. It's not over. Now, death isn't something that we look forward to because it changes things, obviously. But the thing is, in the face of that, at some level, we have to maintain our anticipation and the hope that we face because of death. In other words, when we die in Christ, there's something more coming that's even better than what we have here. 1 Thessalonians, you have to understand in context, was written in about AD 52. Jesus died in about AD 30, okay? So about 22 years after the, the resurrection. Now what's interesting here is the early Christians fully expected, they didn't just think they expected Jesus to return and any, as soon as he ascended, they thought he's coming back any day now. And so during this period of time, what was happening is because people were so sure that Jesus was going to come in their lifetime, why plan for a future? Why work? And you'll see a little bit of this when we get into 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verses 10 through 12, where Paul says, hey, if a person won't work, they're not going to eat either. In other words, the church wasn't in a welfare line for people that didn't want to work. He says, get your tail out there and get to work. But people were literally going to the mountaintop waiting to be taken up with Jesus. And so Paul says that's not the way it should be. 
But this is how sure these folks were that the, that the Lord's going to return. I bet if you took a poll, even in here, say, is Jesus going to return in your life? I bet most people, if they were really honest, would say, no, no, I don't think so. And there ends a problem, obviously. Paul's recipients of this letter, they were concerned that those who had died before the return of the Lord were at some disadvantage over those who are still alive when the return happens. In response, Paul writes these, le these letters in part to educate the believers at Thessalonica and everybody else who reads them because he says, quote, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about death and life after death and Jesus' return. He wants them to understand what's going to happen. You see that in verse 13. And he also says in verse 18, his purpose of giving them this is to comfort them. Remember, knowledge, understanding, so that they don't have to fear what's going to happen. For us in life, when we're dealing with the unknown, we can, fate, we can find comfort and, tr and truth from God's word. When we're dealing with things that we're not sure of, we can go to the word and we can receive comfort and peace from those things if we choose to. Paul goes on to say that he's sharing this information because he doesn't want his readers to grieve when death happens like those who have no hope. I've done funerals for Christians and non-Christians, and believe me, there's a, big, there's a hugely different tone between the two funerals. There's a hugely different tone. And Paul says, I don't want you grieving like those who I've seen grieve who have no hope, who for them, it seems like game over. So let's, we're going to now turn to verses 14 to 17, and we're going to see what the scriptures say about this. It says this, For if we believe that, that, that Jesus died and rose again, so also we believe that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep as Christians. For we tell you this by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will surely not go ahead of those who have fallen asleep. And, and sleep is a euphemism for death. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the shout of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and are left will be suddenly caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So our second observation is peace through understanding. The people at Thessalonica were un unnerved. They've been losing loved ones. Loved ones were dying every day, and here, the, here Jesus hadn't returned. So they're, 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 they're grieved about it. They're like, well, they're going to miss the party. What's going to happen to them? And so for, starting in verse 14, what Paul does is, first of all, I want to give you a foundation for our hope. Without Jesus, where do you place your hope for eternal life? Many people place their hope in being good. And if you do polls, I know I had one, I didn't look at a newer one from 2002 that says like 80-some percent of Americans said, if I'm a good person, I'm going to heaven. Okay, sounds nice, would be a nice sentiment, but what is good? What's the standard? I mean, even in prison, they have a hierarchy, you know, from, you know, from the worst to the better, to the best of who's in there. I mean, so how do you define good? Jesus himself said, I'm not good, God's good. Only the, only the Father's good. Now, he wasn't saying he's a bad person. But the point is, what's your standard? And it just so happens that good person's standard, I'm always on the correct side of that, no matter what. I'm always on the correct side of that. So goodness doesn't really get it done. And if you're a good person, 
where's your evidence that being a good person does anything for you? You don't have it. Some people place their hope on their position in life. Some people place their hope in the fact that when we die, we just die and it's over. Um, they just don't want to go on any further. Some people place their hope of eternal life in false religions. Okay, let me ask you a question. Is Muhammad alive? Did he defeat death? Nope. Did Buddha defeat death? Nope. Joseph Smith defeat death? Nope. Can you think of anybody? I know Lazarus, you know, kind of did, but he didn't claim to be God. And I know in the Old Testament, God, you know, brought life a couple people. But all these false, L. Ron Hubbard, Scientology, did he defeat death? Nope. Ellen G. White, did she defeat death? Nope. She's with uh, the, the uh, I just blanked out, Seventh-day Adventist. All of these false religions are headed up by a dead person. Now, you know what you're going to get when you follow a dead person? You're going to follow them in death. Is that what you want? Because that's all you're going to get. There's nothing there. All these religions that people make up, what evidence do you have that it does anything for you? Because if they died, you're going to die. Because that's all there is to it. <laughs> the hope that we have is built on Jesus, whom God raised on the third day, because what he's done is what he can do and what he will do. If he hasn't done it, he can't do it. See, these other religions, they, can't, they really can't get you anything. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, we're told there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which people must be saved. Which we must be saved. So, think of any name, any person, any religion other than Jesus. Can you be saved by it? No. Is that being narrow-minded on my part? No. You know why? Because that's what Scripture teaches. That's not my teaching. Heck, if it were up to me, it's just, hey, everybody can go. Let's, you know, unless you're a certain people. If I don't like you, you don't get to go. But, you know, other than that, hey, we're all going. But that's not how it works. We have a holy God, a just God, and he's given us an opportunity to have eternal life. Some folks think that without Jesus, they have hope. I've done funerals of people who weren't Christians, and people gather around the casket, and he's in a better place. Really? Based on what? What evidence? When my grandfather passed away, I loved him, but, you know, that priest preached that man into heaven. It made me so angry because in front of everybody, he was just saying my grandfather's lifestyle, God was cool with it. I think down deep inside when those folks are standing over the casket, oh, they're in a better place. They're saying that to appease, to, to, to calm themselves. But I think down deep inside, they know it's not true. There's something in us that says this isn't true. Rich young ruler, once again, a good, good guy. We talked about him. Good guy. What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? He, he knew he was good. He was, no doubt about it. But he knew something was missing. And he didn't want to do what he's told. <laughs> our hope is rooted in what Jesus has done and what he promised. Our, our hope is rooted in what God has done through Jesus and what he's promised. We have evidence. We have evidence of this truth. Our hope is a confidence in what God will do because of what he's done. These elements of the Christian hope are missing from all other religions. When somebody comes to you and says, hey, I want you to follow, they won't say, hey, I want you to come follow my false religion or my cult. 
They're not going to tell you that. They're going to tell you all the great things. Say, excuse me, the one you're basing your hope on, did they defeat death? And can you prove it? Chirp, 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 chirp. You don't hear crickets. Who else defeated death? Jesus did. God raised him. Paul wanted us to remember that if you have Jesus, you have a solid foundation for your hope. Sometimes I don't think we believe that. Sometimes I don't think we really do because we let too many things destroy us. This foundation can give us peace and comfort, and it can give us peace and comfort when we lose loved ones who are in the Lord. And believe me, the greatest gift that you can give your family is that assurance of who you belong to. There's nothing worse than losing a loved one and sitting back and wondering. You, you, I, I can't even think about it. I just have to block it out. It's important. Verse 15 says, that, or 14 says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we too will be part of that celebration. And that's a joyful thing. Jesus is going to bring with him those who have died before him when he returns. Now, when we move to verse 15, Paul is telling us, what I'm sharing with you is the word of the Lord, which all that he wrote was. But he specified that here, specifically said, this is the word of the Lord. This isn't something I made up. This isn't something, some fairy tale. This is what God says. And then he goes on to explain that those who have died before the return are not on unequal footing with those who are, who are still here. Everybody's on equal footing, whether you've died beforehand or whether you're alive at the time. Then in verses 16 and 17, he gives us a chain of events. So when you, you, what I want to encourage you to do in this, and I know there's a lot of different millennial views and people get all hung up and they get all excited thinking about Christians getting taken up in the air and airplanes crashing and cars running into each other because the Christian driver's gone all of a sudden. You know, let's look at scripture and put aside Hollywood for just a moment. Let's read what the scripture says because Paul lays out the chain of events. And that's what we need to look at. What he does in verse 16 is he's going to speak to those who have died in Christ first. And then in verse 17, he's going to speak to those who are alive and remain. We're going to see a chain of, depending on how you phrase them, eight things that will happen in order that will happen when the Lord returns. So let's look at verse 16 again. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the shout of command, with the voice of the archangel, and, the trumpet of, and with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. So the first thing that we see, the first step, is the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Jesus will ascend from heaven. When God determines that it's time for Jesus to return, Christ will come back in a very public way. It will not be hidden it will not be secret. We won't be going, where'd, where'd Joe go? It's not going to work that way. Before anything happens, Jesus comes down. And what we find here is this descent will be visible, Revelation 1-7. It will be audible, 1 Thessalonians 4-16 and 17. And my word, it's going to be majestic, according to 2 Thessalonians 1-7. This is not a secret thing. No one's going to have to wonder. It's going to be a very public thing. And then as he's coming down, the second event that will happen is the audible shout of command from the voice of the archangel. And archangel's the chief of angels. Now the phrase, the phrase shout of command in the Greek, what it denotes, it pictures an officer shouting orders to his troops. And that person that does that shout of command has the authority to do it. So as the Jesus starts to come down, we're, I don't know, 
what he's going to say is like, let's get ready to rumble or whatever. But he's going to, the archangel is going to yell out, is going to shout out, we're all going to hear it. And maybe it's going to be something. So here comes Jesus. Hold on to your hats. You know, I don't know what it's going to be, but we're going to hear it. It's going to be public. It's going to be audible. And then as that has happened, when that happens, the next thing that will happen, according to Scripture, is the trumpet of God will sound. The archangel will shout the voice of command, will shout the uh, command of sh- uh, the command, and then the trumpet will sound. Now, in the Old Testament, whenever God came down to, to man, the occasion was marked by a blast of a trumpet. We see this example in Exodus 19, verses 16 through 19. So as that is happening, then he's bringing with him all the disembodied spirits who have died before his return. And then we'll see the fourth thing is the dead in Christ will rise first. These disembodied souls who had died that Christ is bringing with him, so your loved one in Christ is with him now, and he will bring them with him at the second coming. And then they will be immediately resurrected into their new glorified bodies, and I can't, I don't know what that thing's going to look like. I hope it's a little better than this one. I'm hoping about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, to, to be honest with you. A little bit buffer, maybe a little leaner, you know. Then I can eat pasta all the time and not have to worry about the, the jelly belly in the middle. But the thing is, immediately they're going to come down and they're going to be into their new glorified bodies. Now, what's interesting here, it's still it's kind of this way. In pagan thought, and also some Jews like the Sadducees, that's why in college we learned they're Sadducee, so that's an easy way to remember it. I paid a lot of money for that, by the way. Um, they thought dead mean, meant dead. You take your last, you're in the ground, it's over. They didn't believe in the afterlife. But Jesus says there is one. The Bible says there is one. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, it gives a little bit more explanation of what we're talking about. It says this. Listen, this is Paul. I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. In other words, there's going to be some of us alive when the Lord returns. But we will be changed. We will be all changed. In that moment, in the blinking of an eye, at the last trumpet, remember what we just read, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we, speaking of those who are alive, will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. So we see from this passage that Paul says, as he expands on this, he says, When those folks are coming down, they're going to be changed. And by the way, we're immediately going to be changed if we're alive at the time. Now he switches in verse 17 to what's going to happen to those who are alive, which we've touched on this. He says this. Then we, then, notice a progression, who are alive and are left will be suddenly caught up together with them, those he brought back in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. So the first thing deals, whoops, deals with those who are alive and left. What this tells us is when the Lord returns, there will be Christians on the, on the earth. And at his return, which is not secret, it's not going to happen, and people, what happened, everyone's going to know. It's not going to be a left-behind thing where people are all of a sudden called up, and then later at some time, Jesus returns. There is nobody going up until Jesus comes down. So anything that you read, any theology that you see that says, oh yeah, we're going to have all this happen, and this is going to happen, and then the Lord's going to come. Nope. It's not what Scripture teaches. There'll be no third coming. There's only a second. And then the sixth thing, it says, those who are alive will be caught up 
with those who previously died in Christ. And Paul told us in Corinthians, oh, by the way, as that happens, you're going to be changed in an instant. I'm not going to go up at five foot seven. I'm not going to go up in this anymore. It's going to get left behind. Now, here's where it gets a little interesting. We hear this word rapture a lot, okay? Let me explain where this comes from. The Greek phrase caught up was translated into the Latin in this verse with the word rapier. Then the Latin word was translated into English equivalent, which is rapture. This is where we get the thought of rapture, because the word's actually not in the New Testament. The word means caught up, and, and that word is passive, by the way. So when this is all happening, I can't jump up and down and make myself go up. God himself will draw us up and will change us. And I think that is just amazing. And at this point, those who are alive will receive their 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 53 body because it will be changed in an instant. And so once again, this rapture that's being spoken of, this caught up, cannot happen until he comes down. And like I said, it's a good book series. It sold a lot of movies. People get all excited about it. It's cool. But when you look at Scripture, ask yourself, does it fit? Now, the seventh thing is it says, in the clouds, we will meet the Lord in the air. That's going to be amazing. We're going to be changed, put on our immortal bodies, and we're going to meet the Lord in the air. And then number eight says we will always be with the Lord. These are the order of events that will happen at the second coming. After everyone is raised, then guess what? Judgment. We see this in Matthew 25. Now, judgment is not the time where God says, let's see, let's decide where you're going. See, I was raised in a faith that says you could pray people out of purgatory and all this. No, you can't. When you take your last breath, if you're in Christ, you're going to be in heaven. If you're not in Christ, you're not going to be in heaven, period. I can't pray you out of it. I can't baptize somebody in your place. It does, it's not how it works. Your fate is sealed. Judgment technically is God's final, vindic final vindication. In other words, it will show everybody that, yeah, God was right. He was serious. Jesus died for our sins. And at that point, according to, to Matthew 25, there'll be the sheeps and the goats. And you want to be with the sheep, obviously. Goats are going to end up with a, on a roasting stick, figuratively. Uh, you don't want to do that. Everyone will be raised for judgment. But when you're in Christ, you get to be with the Lord always. So if you've lost loved ones who are in Christ, you don't have to wonder where they are. You know where they are. And one day, if we happen to be alive when that time happens, if it happens in five minutes from now, we're all going to have, a, it's going to be an amazing way to end a service because we're going to be with the Lord. And so when you lose that loved one, you don't have to grieve like it's over because in Christ, when they're in Christ, we have assurance. Now, huh, that leads us to verse 18. It says this, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So we have joyful encouragement. These words are a comfort to those who belong to Jesus. Unfortunately, there's no real hope for those who don't belong to him. I've had people come up to me and say, you know, can you give me some assurance? And I'll remember, I am not the gatekeeper. And I, I always say that. I am not the one who doesn't, does or doesn't let people in heaven. That's not my job. So I can't do that. But what I can tell you is this. If you put your faith in Christ, and that leads you to confess him as your Lord, it leads you to repent of your sins to him, it leads you to be baptized into Christ, you will rise and walk in a newness of life. You will receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is God's seal on, that says, that person belongs to me. 
I know when you die like that, you're going to be in Christ. We're also told that you need to be faithful unto death, according to Revelation 2.10, and you'll receive the crown of life. So I can't accept Christ at 12, 15 years old and then just forget about him. And then as it comes time, say, wait a minute, God, I've got my baptismal certificate somewhere here. Let me give it to you. It doesn't work that way. It's not an insurance policy. I know some parents that have almost forced their kids to be baptized because they think, boy, if I just get them wet, they're going to be good. No, they're not. It doesn't work that way. It's not an insurance policy. It's a lifestyle. It's a commitment. It's living for Jesus. Revelation 2.10, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Don't be, that's not be faithful until you go to college. Be faithful until you have something bad happen to you. Faithful unto death. When that happens, we have assurance. And if I have people say, well, somebody asked Jesus in their heart, I can't give you any assurance. Or this person, oh, they, they worship God in their own way. I can't give you any assurance. All I can tell you is this is what Scripture says that you need to do to be in Christ and what you need to do to live in Christ. You do those things, we're good to go. Outside of that, I can't, I've got nothing to give you. Kind of worthless at that point. In Christ alone, we find our hope and our salvation. Do you want to have hope for the future? Then you need to say yes to Jesus. You need to belong to him. And as I've said, the greatest gift you can give to your loved ones other than yourself is for them not to stand over the casket wondering, I don't know. I don't know. I've done so many funerals of people, it's like, yep, we know. And there's others, even some of my own family, you're like, I don't know. It's a bad feeling. By the way, people say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. <laughs> you know who the bride of Christ is? The church. That's right. So if you're not part of the church, and I'm not just saying First Christian Church in Sierra Vista, but if you're not a part of God's church, he ain't coming for you. When you're baptized into Christ, you're, you're baptized into his church. And we need to be a part of that, an active part of that. Ephesians 5.27 says he's coming back to claim his bride. You want to be a part of that. When we lose loved ones to death who are in Christ, you don't have to grieve like those who have no hope because we have hope and we have evidence. Jesus defeated death. Our final thought is this. Our application point is this. We can live confidently in the present when we are biblically informed about the future. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I don't, I don't know what could be holding you up. I know a lot of things in life get to us. I know we get discouraged. We get, there's a lot of things that happen. And many times, it's interesting, we just always want to blame God for those things. We have bad things happen to us. We lose loved ones. We get sick. We have accidents. Evil happens because we live in a fallen world. But eventually, that world's not going to be fallen anymore because Jesus is going to, we're going to have new heaven and new earth. And we're going to be living with Christ forever and ever in heaven where there'll be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more suffering, none of that. It's going to be joyous. So this morning, if you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing our song of decision. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. If you're struggling, you pray if you want to come up, I'd be glad to pray with you. But this time, we're going to sing our song of decision if you'd like to join in with us. So let's all stand together. What he's done. See, 
never forget. This morning, Roy and Karen Tyree come forward to uh, come forward to place membership at First Christian. They're both immersed believers into Christ, and I'm going to ask them: Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God? Yes. Amen. And based on your confession of faith that you've been already been baptized in the Kingdom of God, we welcome you to the First Christian family. Today, if you walked in, you would think we were doing a uh, Resurrection Sunday service, but it was very appropriate and the same with today with what the subject matter was. Uh, Jerry will continue on next week. But at this time, as we get ready for our communion time, I think it's important that as much as we trust the promises of Jesus, that we realize that we're acknowledging those and we're, we're saying, I believe them when we take this communion. Because why would we want to commune with somebody who's still in the grave? That, doesn't, that just doesn't make sense to me. But when we're doing this, we're telling Jesus, yes, we know that this cup represents your blood, we know that this bread represents your body, but we also know it represents that you defeated death. And we also know that it represents the fact that the only way that I can defeat death and have eternal life is through your blood, through that blood that's represented through that body that took the punishment that I deserve. Jesus took that on. And, you know, I have to be honest with you, as a kid, I thought God was just a big meanie. I pictured him with a big old white beard with a King James Bible, probably about ten times that size, just holding that, just waiting for me to mess up so he could just smack the living daylights out of me. You know, I was scared to death of God when I was a kid. I had a bad, and it, what, my parents didn't do this. The faith I was raised kind of did, but my parents had nothing to do with it. I was terrified of God. And I just thought he was like everybody else, just wanting to take. You know, a lot of people think, because you look at all the false gods, they're always wanting to take something from you, okay? My Lord gave his life for me. And that communion represents what he did. And he's not coming to me and saying, Jeff, taking your life. No, I want that gift. 
and in return, I want to give him my life. This is what always confuse me, confuses me sometimes about Christians. Some of us act like, well, it's just, a, it's just the worst thing in the world that we can't do what everybody else does or shouldn't do what everybody else does, that we're being drugged to church, remember the drug problem, we're being drugged to church and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with us? Why wouldn't we want to joyfully serve the one who gave? And by the way, at any time, you can, you can turn your back and walk away from him. That's your right. He doesn't make you stay with him. But why would you? What he's done, what he's done. This represents what he's done and what will be done. And so as you take the communion this morning, I hope that you'll look down deep inside and understand that you have a God who loves you so much that he gave everything for you. What are you willing to give back? He's not going to take it from you. You've want to. You got to want to give it to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can celebrate, celebrate around the communion table, that we can remember what he's done and what he will do through what you will do through him. Lord, as we take these emblems, help us to remember what they represent and the promises that go along with it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. On the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements for this week. We will ha Jerry will have all of his groups this evening. Roger's group's going to meet tonight. Young at Heart meets on Monday. And uh, Wednesday, we have all of our studies that we typically have. Um, 
the harvest party is coming up very quickly. So next Sunday at 4 p.m., um, Jerry is going to have a meeting with everybody who wants to help with the harvest party at 4 p.m. It'll probably be in the probably in the fellowship hall because in here we're going to be uh, feverishly working to put our new projection system up next Sunday after church. So it's going to be loud and messy in here. Um, we also, the food pantry's needing some items. You can see in the bulletin about that. Operation Christmas Child's taking some donations still. Peach's Pantry is looking for donations also. And we've got some folks in first service that are trying to put together a group to go to Israel, I think, in 2024. So you can, get, you can see the announcement about that. But other than that, I think that's all the announcements we had. We had, I think, 10 ladies come to the spa event at the bonfire, and um, they had a good time. And, and um, some of you that couldn't make it, you missed out on a good time. On the back side of our bulletin, we have prayers. We ask that you take a look at those. Uh, Roger Snyder, one of our members, is home and recovering. We're thankful for that. Um, on Friday, um, um, Linda Finney lost her husband, Tom. He, he had, he had a, a, a swimming accident, and, and it was very unexpected. So keep Linda Finney in your prayers as she mourns the passing of her husband. We have a lot of people we've been praying for that are many are recovering from surgeries. Some of them are getting ready for them. We have troops who are deployed. We have shut-ins that are a part of our church family. We're also praying for Santa on the West End. Uh, we pray that they have plenty of things that they need to be able to fulfill what they're called to do. And we pray for all the missions that we support during this month. So we ask that you take these home and be praying for people through the week. And at this time, let's stand together. And we will, um, I'll have a, closing prayer and the band will play a song for us to, 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 let, to uh, vacate with. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we could be together today and we thank you for the hope that we have in your son Jesus. And Father, I pray that the, that the message encouraged us, that it gave us some insight and some knowledge that will help us to be able to endure those times when we lose loved ones who are in you. I pray, Lord, that we live life with, a, with joy and that we show people the great God that we serve. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.